speaking of, uh, and one of your, one of the things that you have issue with in that movie is the the way in which they treat the subject matter of Freddie Mercury's life and the lack of you know harsh depiction of it or lack of more realistic de- depiction of it, and that seems to happen a lot in movies where yeah. you know things are changed either before production during production after production and sometimes they're not uh of they're not the decision of the people who are doing it but they're the decisions of outside sources or outside influence oh yes yes that, that's you can the, see where i'm saying i'm segueing you're segueing something here yeah and, and as we start I'm this episode you yeah thank you, you thank you yeah we're getting into the episode of uh, the Cinema Discovery Project. Mm. I decided to go higher pitched on my introduction there. Um, yes, this is another episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Billings, and with me once again is... Uh, I, I don't have a nickname yet, but mm. um, I, I wasn't going to say the one that you don't like, but I'll just call him by his name, Andrew Cabral. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. We need cool nicknames like... like- like disc jockey nicknames, like yeah, Steve yeah. the something and Andrew the something or something and something. The wizard, you know? <laughs> yeah, the yeah, wizard well, and and his mighty falcon, maybe, or something may, like that. Yeah, maybe if we get some more viewers, maybe we can get them to to try to come up with names. Maybe, um, like Mer- Merlin and his wizard pal. I don't know. Yeah, we should just Merlin stop. and we, Ar- Merlin and Archimedes. Obviously, we're not know. creative enough to. <laughs> Come up with some cool names for our own selves. Clearly we know not. ourselves. We know ourselves more better than anybody, and we can't come up with a cool nickname for ourselves. But it's okay. Clearly, clearly, that's not what this episode's about. This no. episode, we wanted to delve in something that's very, you know, it's very controversial. It's very, it's something that you know, it's got. It's open for a really grand discussion, and I'm sure a lot of people have different opinions on this. But we really wanted to talk about something that is always kind of is always there in the background and sometimes pops its ugly head and that's censorship censorship in film um and we kind of wanted to go over kind of the history of it you know kind of give you some some early tidbits of you know how the you know as we as today you know we have the mpaa but before that there was this whole history of uh you know different um you know levels of how we got to that of of censoring films and and you know showing you know films in a more moral way you know that was the thing you know but we'll get into all of that um yeah we'll we'll delve into it we don't want we're gonna give we're gonna paint in broad strokes we don't want it to feel like a college lecture course or something like that because if film history as we've delved into before is really really uh detailed and complicated and there's always constant things that were happening that you all have to put into context in order to get a full big picture. But we're going to try our best just to hit on some of the big points when it comes to not so much censorship, but the way in which outside sources kind of impacted the way movies were made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Having a production code literally impacted the way in which movies could be put together or and things like that, and we really want to take a trip back in time, back to the, you know, Stephen, where do you want to start, the 1920s? Well, well, we'll I start mean, the 1920s. Well, I, I, we, we could, but I do have a couple little fun tidbits that lead okay. up to that. Um, give, now, give me some of the goods. Yeah, let me let me give you some of these tidbits. I, 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 yeah. Um, so, going way, way back to Ooh. the 1897. Okay, Damn. 1897, there was 
technically the first kind of law of censorship that was that was cast upon us um and it was through something kind of interesting which was boxing you know at the time of course film was you know we were starting to come up with the technology itself and you know they were they were experimenting and at the time there was only one state that had legal boxing in it which was nevada and so they filmed a whole boxing match and at the time it was just, this was a big boxing match. It was Jane, James Cor- Corbett versus Bob Fitzsimmons, and they filmed the whole thing on widescreen film. And was you know, of course, they shopped it around and they were showing it everywhere. And the state of one of this, I think it was New York, maybe, or maybe it was Chicago, or no, it was Maine. It was Maine. Maine did not like this, so then they came up with their own kind of, like, law against showing boxing films. They would fine you $500 for showing them, and so that was kind of technically the first kind of, you know, law towards censoring any kind of film, you know. But then when we got to about 1907, um, we started having more of a wider thing where in Chicago, they gave power to the, the chief of police to basically stop showings of films showing exhibitions of films if they found them to be moral morally questionable they could just shut down the films and you know of course that hurts the 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 money of of the people that you know made the movies and the studios and whatnot and then a year later in new york the same thing happened where 550 theaters were shut down either on fire code violations or as they say moral uh you know question grounds moral grounds they were shutting down these theaters so then there's this group called the People Institute that brought together all these other kind of like other uh, community, you know, things, which were the Federal of Churches, Federations of Churches, Women's Municipal League, and the Society of the Prevention of Crime. Um, they started this board called the New York Board of Censorship. And from there, and then eventually it was called the National Board of Censorship, which it kind of, when it kind of started to become a national thing, because at the time, so many films came out of New York. Um, so it kind of became more of a wide thing. And then in 1915, there was this big case that happened between Mutual Film, uh, Mutual Film Corporation and Ohio Industrial Commission. And what it was was that Mutual Film Corporation was this like newspaper, and they didn't, basically, with what the, you know, National Review Board did was that they would make they would make you pay uh, to have your movie reviewed or your your material reviewed and, and to to see if it was worth showing. You know, to the people, and they didn't like the fact that their stuff was being reviewed and they had to pay for it. So then it was brought in, into this court case, and then the the government decided that film was not part of it was not protected under the First Amendment. That you could not just you know. Basically, it was a business and that it had to be regulated. So then that's when the kind of first major thing started to happen with the motion right. picture producers and distributors of America, the uh, MPPDA. Um, yeah, that's that's when we get to the 1920s. Yes. Where I, whereas where I wanted to start, Stephen wanted to go way back yeah, I, to I, the I, late I, 19th know, century. I, I was looking into this. And I just thought it was very interesting that the, the little small things that led to just that first right. big thing, you know, were very yeah, interesting. Yeah, because every the way history goes typically is that history is linear. Uh, you know, one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. And that's the way history has always been. That's the way you know our lives always go and and when we and now that we got up to the 1920s that's when things started to become um 
more not toxic but more you know a fever pitchish where Wait. you know where there's go- there was a, a lot of pressure on the MP uh, DDA which MPPDA. is which, which the, yeah, yeah t- the MPPDA M- yeah, that's yeah. what it is yeah yeah. yeah, two P's, one D, and an A, <laughs> and that's the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America. Yeah. Uh, later on, that thing would be renamed the MPAA, which still exists today. Yeah, yeah. But back then, basically, it's a group of all of the major uh, f- film studios of the time. Yeah. You know, you had a lot of names that you're that still exist today: Twenty uh, Warner Brothers, Universal. Uh, Paramount, uh, back then Columbia Pictures was around. I think RKO may have been in there. Um, it, this was actually before MGM came into yeah. being, so MGM wasn't even around. Yeah, MGM would come a couple of years later. This is around 1922 that this organization was founded. And basically, it was an order organization that's kind of a trade association where it's kind of putting everyone on an even uh, footing when it comes to like practices about the way studios can act, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, what, well, what happened was, was right before this, there was a lot of scandals. A lot of things were right. happening, like where actors, some actors had died under, you know, illicit reasons, drug overdoses and stuff like that, and there were some, some other things, but they needed somebody to kind of step in and be the regulator. Yeah. Yeah. What ha- yeah, and what yeah, and what happened in the twenties specifically, uh, leading up to the thirties, of course, is there was a lot of, like Stephen said, a lot of impropriety uh, actions by people in the film industry. Yeah. Uh, specifically, there were like you know actors were dying, actors were committing crimes, and some of the films that were being shown became to be more illicit and more, you know, I guess morally objectable, if you will. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's very interesting how even in the 1920s, people were, you know, discussing the the, the morality that is contained in movies and having, uh, you know, debates about, you know, what can be shown, what can't be shown, and all this kind of stuff. Um, one of the major people that set things into a tizzy, into kind of a media frenzy, was Fatty Arbuckle, yeah, who yeah. I believe um, was involved in some type of uh, a death of someone, and he was also involved in a rape of another actress, and it was really, really uh, just stuff, to the point where, um, uh, at the time... Uh, certain uh, states or certain places would have their own censorship codes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you couldn't show the same film in one state that you could show in the other. It had to be edited, things like that. And it got to the point where the government was going to step in and and yeah. have some type of oversight and have some type of control over this. And that's when the um, that's when this group of people, the um, the MPPDA decided we have to have our own code put in or else this is going to get taken out of our hands yeah, and we're not going to have any control over this whatsoever. Yeah, a lot of the, that was when, a lot of the reason they wanted to create these boards was because they did not want the government to, to take it over. They, did, they, they needed to be independent, you know? Yeah, and, and, and it goes back to kind of the things we were talking about in, in other episodes, this idea of the studio system having complete and utter control over their products. You know what I mean? The studio system literally had control over pre-production, post-production, production. production. They pit, they they had control over the filmmakers, the way the films were made, the way the films were distri- distributed, and all this kind of stuff. And they didn't want to lose any of that control, so they came up. Uh, for, so they came up with this production code. 
there was something that they talked about in around 1928. It was a whole list of codes by someone else. Yeah, it was that, called the, the, the don'ts and the be carefuls. <laughs> yeah, the don'ts and the be carefuls, which is kind of a precursor to the Hayes Code or the production code, well, yeah. but it wasn't really something that was official. In well, any yeah, way. the 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 produce the, the the motion picture producers of distributors of America they hired uh, this man William H Hayes, and he kind of was he became like a spokesman between yeah, the government. Yeah, he was like their their chairman, their president of yeah. this group. Um, and what is interesting is he didn't create the Hayes Code. He no. just happened to be the president of this group he, when the Hayes Code was put in place. Yeah, he was the face. You know what I mean? He was the face of the organization, and yeah, right. I mean, it, it just he, he was it actually kinda... someone. He was actually someone who was against censorship, which is very interesting to me. The person who really constructed the Hayes Code was Joseph Breen, who was someone who I believe um, was an. Um, I, I, he wasn't an actor, but he was somebody who was an advocate for uh, like film censorship. He was part, and he was part of the the MP uh, the MPPDA, and he was also, I think, part of the the Catholic Nation, uh, National League of Decency, and Wait, all this he, kind of stuff. Yeah, he. Go on. Well, see, what happened was, was he, you know, when they were still trying to get like their, uh, you know, trying to get people to take the code seriously to take these rules seriously you know because they had like you know these religious groups coming in trying to stop them even though that they they were trying to find a way to regulate they had this um there was this group called the american uh group that was created created called the legion of decency um yeah by the uh, catholic church like you were saying and they were and boycotting the- movies you know and it was yeah. hurting of course the and- box office of course a yeah. lot of these groups um, still exist today. The Catholic League is still around. There's all kind of like uh, like uh, groups of parents, groups, and all kind of groups that um, that fight against uh, things that are put on TV, things that are put in movies. They boycott, they protest, all this kind of stuff. This still exists today in our modern world. And Joseph Breen was appointed by Hayes to to create the, the production code. Uh, he. To production code administration, yeah, it was yeah, a newly the PCA, created department yeah, by yeah. the MPPDA, um, and it was kind of created to create this code. And this code is very, very interesting to me. Oh man, um, it's interesting because a lot of it in it is uh, is really ha- harsh in the modern sense, but it's also like it really impacted the way movies were made. Movies had to be changed. Movies had to be edited down. A lot of the tropes we see in movies uh, that they that they were used in the classic Hollywood era that have kind of become jokey were because of this. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm going to go over a few of them now. Um, the first one here, you know, some of these are practical, but the first one here is uh, his code restrictions are as follows. Crime and immorality can never be portrayed in a positive light. This idea that the criminal always has to be caught. Yeah. The bad guy always has to get caught, be put in prison, or die. Good guys always have to win, basically. Yeah. that That's something that you saw through the crime movies of the 30s, film noir, all kinds of stuff. Um, the next rule here is, of course, nudity and over-portrayals over and references to sexual behavior, even between consenting adults, could not be shown. Yeah. I mean, that's... 
we're still fighting that one pretty hard today, even though, mm-hmm. of course, it's a lot more lenient nowadays. But right, you, know, you can get a little, uh, you can get away with a lot more the, now. This than this you comes could down to then. the point of of another rule, which is you can't even have people sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That. Uh, yeah. And of course, this one here is is definitely a biased one. Uh, most of these are pretty biased. Yeah. And pretty, and are pretty. Well, they're like, very Catholic. There's an agenda they're, here. they're very religious there's based. There's a religious, yeah. the Catholic. Uh, the next one here know, is like yeah. religion could never be depicted in a mocking manner. Yeah, you know what I mean. Obviously, so you can't yeah. have a movie that's critical of religion, despite religion having a history of doing some pretty terrible things. You couldn't, I guess, show that in a movie. You know what I mean? Um, then, of course, you have uh, drug use, including alcohol consumption, could not be shown unless the plot called for it. Now, that's very interesting to me, uh, because you had movies that depicted uh, alcoholics, to yeah. people who were, you know, really, you know, bad drunks, angry drunks. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, thinking back to it, I don't know, I can't remember what the year this movie came out, but The Lost Weekend was a movie right. about, you know, alcoholism. I'm, I don't know that that was that early of a movie. That might have came out in the 40s or 50s. So it 1945. Been little, not, yeah, 1945. So that's, but yet again... Yeah. It's a, it says if the plot called for it, so I'm sure, assuming it, and there's it did some in this leeway. Case. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming there's some leeway. Um, it's a, and there's some kind, and, and this stuff, and this says under the first version of the code, drug use was allowed only if the story was a cautionary tale against drug abuse, yeah. or if the druggie got what they deserved for doing it in the first place. Yeah, it could, um, it could you know be I mean? a, it couldn't be a movie like. Yeah, uh, you know something you know that came out nowadays like um, shit like any like any drug days of confused would never yeah something yeah. that was a drug was used for recreational yeah recreational fun and reasons. fun and it's, I mean yeah. um, unless it led to like like all the kids got dying in a, in a <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean because of their pot use or whatever yeah and they, yeah and they also says like illegal narcotics are strictly prohibited no matter what the circumstances so I'm guessing no heroin <laughs> no cocaine you know what I mean sure which yeah. wasn't really cocaine wasn't really around it wasn't a thing yet it, yeah they yeah. were snorting heroin but whatever uh yeah and stuff like that so uh it, and what's um I'm looking at some others here uh, oh, this is an interesting one. All f- uh, films could not use revenge as a theme or premise in stories set during modern time times, since it could be seen as glorifying violence, specifically murder. That's, that's Tarantino would have problems <laughs> with this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, and it says here the code made exceptions for historical settings particularly where there was no law to punish the offender. So Westerns became the only movies allowed to have revenge as a yeah. theme or premise. You know, basically back in the old West, you know, the laws were, were looser. So therefore, yeah. So, so it's, you know, and, and also contextualizing you, revenge and murder and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, it's fantasy which, basically, you know, <clears throat> which is interesting to me. Cause if you think about it, what was one of the most popular genres of movies back, back within the 30s 40s 50s and 60s westerns yeah. you know what i mean and this production code probably led directly to studios putting a lot of money and effort into making westerns because that's the way they could show uh movies that depicted murder and revenge things that people were wanted to see on screen you know yeah. what i mean so you already here you have the production code affecting production affecting movie making yeah. uh, next up here is topics considered perverse could not be discussed 
or depicted in any way such topics included, but were not limited to homosexuality, miscegenation, which is uh, 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 interracial couples or interracial relationships, uh, bestiality, and venereal diseases. Uh, I think the bestiality <laughs> one kind of self-explanatory, Stephen. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you. anybody really wants to see that today either. But uh, <laughs> yes, you know. so I'm, I'm I'm in for that one. Yeah, that one seems to kind of kind of suck. But give Lon Von the, the chance. I mean, I'm sure he yeah. has already. <laughs> uh, uh, it was, and the biggest one in there, of course, is homosexuality and it, the the banning of interracial couples, interracial relationships, because that's the one that's most, I think, contextually or uh, time period specific for that time. Of course, um, homosexuality was extremely taboo at the time. You know, people yeah. were not anywhere near as accepting of it as they are now. Uh, many, many people couldn't ever, ever say they were gay or come out of the closet or anything like that. Um, the interracial thing, of course, racism uh, was still rampant in the, in the in at the time, uh, specifically in Hollywood. This is when you get a lot of movies where white people are playing um people of other people of other uh, races and things like that where yeah. they're coloring the skins and doing all kind of you know racial stereotypical movies and things like that that's where the whole blackface thing comes in and all that kind of stuff and what is most interesting i find about this one is this really hurt or killed the careers of many uh non-white actors and actresses because yeah. they couldn't be in role they couldn't be romantic leads in roles with 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 white people they couldn't uh do anything they couldn't have relationships on depicted on screen like that and so their career opportunities plummeted you know you yeah, couldn't yeah. you just couldn't get any work at all uh which is really unfortunate because before this time you were having those things in movies. Well, you know, a, mean, lot, you a, having... lot, a lot of it changed because of the talkies. You know, like before when it was just right. the silent films, that a lot of stuff got you, they could get away with. But when when sound came into the picture, that's when a lot of these roles became more necessary to them. They right. Felt, you know. And one thing, one thing we should really mention is this: as this was uh, created in 1930 or so, but really wasn't fully enforced heavily until 1934. Yeah. So between about 1929, 1928, and 1933, 34 is what we call pre-code Hollywood. Pre-code Hollywood is basically the time right before the Hayes Code, the or the production code was fully enforced. So you get kind of the last gasp of all the films that were depicting things that the Hayes Code wouldn't allow. You know, all the sexual stuff, the yeah. the graphic violence, and all that kind of stuff. That's where you got a film like the original Scarface by Howard Hawks was during that time. That that was one of the films that really prompted the production code yeah. to be enforced. <laughs> <laughs> um, but moving on down the, the list here, uh, let's see. Uh, the sanctity of marriage had to be upheld. Very interesting. Basically, uh, this led to the birth of the comedy, the comedy of remarriage genre, which is yeah. basically is that is that in these movies a couple would. Uh, get divorced for a short amount of time but it would be played for comedy and then they would eventually get back together in the end no matter what yeah yeah you know what i mean um it it, it led to a lot of movies like that and 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 that's the way you could get away with it you know what i mean you kind of yeah. had to play it off as not being sincere as not show you couldn't show a marriage deteriorating or a marriage that was just 
a bad match for whatever reason. Yeah, I was going to say, it makes me think of a movie called The Awful, the Awful Truth. It has a lot of like stuff right. like I think that came out in the 30s, so that was right around that time. It was in the 30s, late 30s, I think, so it probably was very much uh, sh- you know, shaped around this code. Yeah, The Awful Truth came out 1937, yeah, so right yeah. after The Code. That was with Cary Grant and Irene Dunn. Yeah. Another movie that comes to my mind is Mr. and Mrs. Smith by yeah. Alfred Hitchcock is literally that same plot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. literally, that's the plot of that movie, where a couple get uh, gets divorced and they end up coming back together in the end. Um, next up here is Blasphemy, including using the name of God as an expletive or exclamation was not allowed. Using the word God was not allowed, but only if used in a reverent tone or meaning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, addition to, in addition, profanity of any kind was prohibited. Makes oh, That makes man. sense. You can see oh, here. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, damn. God <laughs> damn. damn cock fuck. Uh, shit. <laughs> um, you can see here that a lot of these were religious-based or even culturally religious-based yeah. in the sense that you know, you couldn't you couldn't uh, criticize clergy. You couldn't criticize religion. Yeah. You couldn't use God. You couldn't use God in a defamatory way. You couldn't be really critical of all of the inst- the religious institution and stuff like that. And it's it really limits what you can do creatively as as a as a filmmaker. You know what I mean? If you wanted to comment on that thing, because. Because there were areas in which you could go as a, as a filmmaker, you couldn't do it. Or it if very you much, did, it very much made the filmmaker have to be very like subtle about things, messages they want. It had to be very, you know, subtextual. You know, like you know, if you want, if they wanted to convey anything deeper, they really had to like yes. lay it in there with with the actors and the and, what, you know. And this led to a lot of what ha- what ended up happening is. Is films ended up uh, filmmakers and films ended up using a lot of subtext to show a lot of things. What you can and, say in a way is very, very much is a good thing in a way. Yeah, like it, it made for some it, maybe more artful filmmaking instead of just it, throwing it in your face with words and stuff. It really did. It made them have to be more artistic, more in, uh, imaginative in the way they did it. There are there were several films that yeah, I mean people have probably taught classes on this taught you know, seminars, whatever about, you know, uh, just a history of uh, subliminal messages or subli- or subtext in movies, specifically when it comes to certain themes like homosexuality. Like, as I said, you couldn't yeah. predict, you couldn't show a homosexual person or relationship on screen. So therefore you had to put it in subtextually. And I think about several films going through my head, but one that pops into it right away is Alfred Hitchcock's Rope from yeah, yeah. 1948. Uh, there was some, there was a lot of homosexual uh, things in there that were that are more evident now that we look back in in, in hindsight. Uh, but there were several films like that, and I just can't think of most of them. I should have probably looked them up. It, oh, it's but, but yeah, you it's, know, when we get to that kind of point where you know the Hayes Code's starting to fade a little bit, like people right. start to to push against it. Um, and I yeah. think one of the the main when, movies when get, that they they look at, or you got something oh, else. Yeah, I'll just say, um, basically, the end of the Hayes Code would come when the '60s really came into into being. Sure, you know sure. I, mean? I was just going to mention si- a movie that yeah, that kind of was on. the first ones to one to kind of start to punch back at it. Was a movie from Howard Hughes, um, The Outlaw. Um, 
you know, because it showed a lot of like it had the the female in the movie was very had very big breasts, and he very mm. much showed them all the time, and and you know they wanted him to cut down the movie, but that he didn't, and so you know they the theater started being a part of that too. They were showing the movie no matter what. Um, so yeah, and there was a lot of movies throughout the forties and fifties that that started to kind of like almost ignore the code, um, and theaters were allowing the movie to be released. Like there was a, it was also foreign films. Foreign films were starting to come over. And I think there was one from Rosalini, um, called, um, what was it called? Um, the miracle, um, that apparently had some illicit stuff in it. And, you know, so the theaters had a a part to play because when the theaters weren't owned by the studios anymore, they, they had more regulation, I mean, didn't have right. as much regulation. They could they could do what they want, and and the studios couldn't do anything about it because the studios yeah, were well, the ones behind the code. So, yeah, the you know. studio. Yeah, like we go back to that studio system. The studios owned, and like we said, they owned the exhibition. They owned this, the theaters that they were showing the movies in, yeah. and as their grasp on uh, on the film industry began to wane in the fifties and sixties, um, that's when the Hayes Code became weaker and weaker. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and like like you said, when the for, and also foreign films, uh, yeah. when they be when they when they send them over here to the United States, those movies are much different than than the movies that are made here. They're not subject to the Hayes Code in Europe like the movies that are made here. And so, like, what do you do? Do you um do you do you have them re-edit the movies or do you have them uh? Uh, show it w- without the pre- the Hayes Code approval. Therefore, you, you know only certain theaters can show it, and that's when you get a lot of um, movies that were shown in like underground uh, yeah. art theaters. You know, this I mean? was in the, the this 60s. was the punk era of movies. Yeah. <laughs> it really is, and and that's when you get that's when you got the rise of a lot of like I said, uh, independent production companies in the sixties. And we talked a lot about this when we when we talked about. Um, uh, silent films, uh, I, United silent, Art, United only, Artist, and not only silent films, but I think when we talked about our kind of our horror film, our, our horror uh, genre overview, we talked about a lot of the uh, the movements that happened specifically in the sixties yeah, with people like Roger Corman making the drive-in grindhouse movies. Those movies didn't have you know production code approval. They showed they're just movie, unrated, they unrated movies. Sex, yeah, they showed drugs. Those were unrated movies. You know what I mean? They were movies that 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 were so underground that that's where the places like if you were watching one of those types of grindhouse movies in an in in a in a small art theater let's say new york or chicago or los angeles or wherever um the cops bust in and arrest you for just watching a movie yeah could you imagine that today somebody you would get arrested for watching a movie in a movie theater that's like that's uh, yeah. mind boggling. It, it 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 seems like it could happen again, maybe one day. <laughs> I know you know we never know. <laughs> yeah, and what is interesting is um, filmmaker John Waters talks about that all the time because his movies are you know dirty underground trashy B C movies that were that were shown wherever they would let him show it. Like yeah. and you know what I mean he he was operating in in the modern system of of the the modern rating system which we're used to now but even then he would say like yeah in the 60s you know i he would go to 
see underground movies and you know the cops would show up and stuff like that and people would get beaten and arrested and you know all kind of stuff and it's very very interesting how the the way in which like law enforcement would 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 treat that they would treat it as if it was a crime as if like you you would be arrested as if you were stealing something or if you were or or you know uh beating up someone or whatever but but when but as but i want to transition here to the more modern rating system because that's what i think a lot of people are familiar with yeah the, and the, the more modern rating system yeah. didn't come until 1968 or, or yeah around 1966 68 that's when we get you know the modern rating of G, PG, PG thirteen, R. Well, and even back at, then, and even at the time, there wasn't a PG. There was there was an M for oh, mature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have PG thirteen. Didn't come till the eighties. Yeah, it was it so, was P M and it was R and there was X at the at the beginning. Yeah, X X. I always thought was a cool rating. Come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think we should still have X. X. <laughs> Get rid of NC seventeen and go back to X. Yeah, NC seventeen is R rated X now, mm-hmm. um, and it's. It's interesting because back then, when this was put into place, this was put into place by a guy named Jack Valenti, who was a former aide to President Lyndon B. Johnson, and he made the transition from uh, from being in Washington, being in politics, over to the MPAA as their president, as their chairman, their president, or whatever. And he was there all the way till 2004, and he passed away in 2007. Uh, the film, the documentary, uh, this film is not yet rated, uh, really focused on him a lot, and really yeah. focused on a lot of his uh, mindsets and a lot of his hypocrisy. Really, well, I was going to say, I think they, I think they play, that. they they play, they they have fun with him because he says a lot of things, and you're like, the movie points out like the contradictions of what yeah, he says he, a lot. So he does say a lot, and the MPAA, it's instant. You know, the reason why it existed was to provide parents with you know it, with the information about what is appropriate for children to be seeing and to give them information. Whether or whether or not they wanted their child to watch a movie or not, and that kind of is interesting to me because what if I'm not? What if I'm an adult who doesn't have a child? Why do I care what a movie is rated? Well, the you thing is, I mean? well, the thing is, it's all sub it's subject to opinion. You know what you yeah, think and is there's a, a lot of yeah. What you think is maybe here. suitable for kids might not matter to somebody else. I mean, it's it's very general. So it's yeah, like, and yeah. and it kind of blows my mind that they tried to devise a system that was universal. You know what I mean? Like, like well, they, it applies to everything. And I'm like, you can't do that because, like you said, Stephen, the people making the decisions about why a movie is PG versus G, why a movie is R versus whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's based on their personal bias and personal opinion and they and how they try- is their personal bias personal opinion supposed to relate to everyone's idea of what the subject matter well, not is? only you yeah not I mean? only that but it's like once again they're in a way backhandingly you know crushing the artist from doing you know instead of letting you know making them make the type of movies you want them to make now they're letting them make movies and then making them correct them or they're not going to release them they have they've really strong you know really strong armed the the artist more than ever with this more than the Hayes code itself i think in a way yeah 
I'll, I'll say this though the the rating system get they had to get rid of the Hayes code they had sure, to throw yeah. it in the trash it was antiquated beyond antiquated it yeah, was yeah of course all, not them, even be- all them stupid rules could not fly after yeah, after well, we got well, into the 60s and then the it. 70s yeah it just no. it was a joke it was a joke so i'll say this for jack valenti he at least had the awareness to realize that 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 that, that old production code had to go away um and and what he put in place like we said was was something that was based off of what what parents should send their children to see and it's interesting and this is when we get into kind i don't know if you want to talk about the the documentary this film is not yet rated it's kind of it's it's a movie that came out in 2006 it is somewhat dated uh some of the information may not be you know true anymore because you know things have changed but it is a documentary that i think has a lot of truth uh that pertains to now and really a lot of truth that pertains i think to the rating system throughout its history um, because it's it's a system that is is based off of the opinion of people you don't know. Yeah, people they, they, they won't tell you we, who who they are. Yeah, you yeah. I was gonna I mean? say if you, if anybody doesn't know this, this board of people that decide that watch these movies and decide these ratings are people that and, until unless you really investigate it, you don't know these people. They're not, they're not they're not somebody I can I can look up and find that. Oh, this Kevin McAllister, who I'm gonna take from uh, Home Alone, um, uh, is the guy that is part of the board of people that review. You know, in the MPA, there's no names. They're they're secret people that apparently they keep secret because they don't want them to get berated by people like they don't want people to them to, to be targets because they gave a, a bad rating to a movie or something that, you know like just some weak ass shit and, and the <laughs> whole idea is that they're supposed to be ordinary regular people who have kids of a certain age yeah and what is interesting is in the documentary uh, the documentary is twofold uh, for those of you who have not seen it it's it part of it is investigating the identities of people who are in, who are a part of the mpaa uh, who are part of the the ratings board? We should the MPAA and the ratings board are two different things. But the rate the people who do the ratings and also it 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 interviews um filmmakers whose films uh were given ratings that they probably shouldn't have been given, and it, it discusses kind of the particulars that they went through in dealing with the ratings and all that kind of stuff. But what is yeah. very interesting to find out is how secretive and how close to the chest all of the information is. And it has become a little uh lax in the in the years following the documentary. I believe now like they'll they can tell you the they could tell you I think the gender of who the people are on on the ratings <laughs> board and stuff like that and then, and now and, and what's interesting before the documentary they they won't even tell you their rationale or their reasoning behind uh why the ratings are what they are like their qualifications everything is just like so subjective you know what i mean there's yeah. there was no set list of like okay that's why that's why the movie is a, is a, got an r versus a pg13 in the sense, like, okay, what what is specific about this rating that you have to fit here? What's specific about that rating you have to fit there? They didn't tell you any of those things. You kind of just had to guess or assume or things or things like that. Now, now they tell you more more details about that. Uh, what is interesting, though, is they is while watching the documentary, is that they say is is, is some of the filmmakers 
would submit films uh, through through the independent circuit, and some would submit films through uh, a a large studio. And the reactions and the difference uh, differencing of opinion were vastly di- were were different. Like they were treated differently based off of who was backing them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if you made a movie from an independent studio and you submitted it for for a rating, it would get a certain rating. And later on, you would submit a movie from, let's say, Sony, let's say Paramount, let's say whoever, and it would get a different rating. And a lot of that has to do with this conspiracy or hypothesis that the members of the MPAA get favorable treatment because they are the big, powerful studios that basically run all of the movie making in in Hollywood. Yeah. They run like 95% of it. You know, the big guns, the, the big guys. Yeah. 20th Century Fox, well, Disney, uh, Sony, uh, Time Warner, Warner Brothers, uh, all that kind of stuff. And you begin to realize that, that you know what, that's not such a big conspiracy or a big, a big to-do because they're all run by giant corporations and giant corporations want to make money. And to make money through movies is to have as many people see it as possible so you can get all that ticket revenue, get all that, you know, you know, exposure and all that kind of stuff. And of course, a movie with a movie with an NC-17 rating can't mostly will never be distributed at uh, a major uh, theater chain. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, you know, I think this this whole thing gets to a bigger question of like you know where how can you how can you really uh you know rate art you know you know it goes back to, it goes back to even the whole thing of like you know do you is this should this be looked at as a way of of expressing expressing freedom of speech or is this under just that it's business i think most filmmakers would say this is my art and I I want to be able to express it, but because they want to get it to the most amount of eyes as possible, the people that hold them outlets to seeing it to the most amount of people are the people that are the money people. So they get to decide right. who gets to see your movie. Oh, I I you know? I'm I am I wholly believe that it's it, it's all about the, the rating system, the MPAA, all that stuff is all about making money. the The rating system has nothing to do with. What's best for the about, artist in the art? Yeah, or yeah. the artist, or I don't even think they care about the people watching the movie. They just care about no, they just want having dollars, as man. many people as possible watching the movie. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Like for example, let's say you're, you know, you're a filmmaker or whatever. You pour years into a movie, years and years of time. Uh, effort. Maybe you put some of your own money into it, and then you finally get it to be completely finished. Let's say it takes you, you know, five five years or whatever, and then and then you got to submit it to the board. You got to submit it to the ratings board because uh, you got to get that rating because because one the studio that you've sold the movie to, uh, whoever it is, you know, you've got to have a certain rating for it to be put in a certain amount of theaters for them to buy this movie from you or for them to distribute this movie from you. So you made this movie, you got to get it distributed. So you got to play along. You got to, you got to do what you got to do to to make it happen. And then you, and then you submit it to this arbitrary, this group of people you don't know anything about. And they give you, they give you an R rating. Let's say they give you an R rating, but the studio that you got to deal with says they'll only distribute it 
They'll only pay for distribution if it's a PG-13. Yeah. So now, so now, these group of people you know nothing about say, okay, we didn't like this, this, or this, and we didn't like, you know, a few seconds here, you know, you held a little too long on this sex scene, or, you know, there was too much, too many F-words here in this conversation, and the movie you've spent a good amount of time of your life making is now being, you're now being told neutered. you have to change being it. being neutered, yeah. Yeah, and-, and- You have to change it. Yeah, and and not, but but then they play off this b- this BS nonchalant thing, saying where well you don't have to take our you know suggestion to do yeah. it, but we can't give you the rating you you need blah, or you the rating you want, and then it, it, it's just like a, it's very BS in the way they. Well, put, it's you know like they I mean? give you a choice, but, but they, they're not giving it, it, you a yeah, choice. It's vol- you know it, it is quote unquote voluntary, but we yeah. know in the movie business the things that are quote unquote voluntary are. Just code for mandatory. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and basically, you got to go back in and you got to play along with this because it's a whole political BS game of just trying to get your movie out there. You know yeah. what I mean? And granted, we live in a world now where the distribution of movies is a lot more wide-ranging. There are a lot more studios. There are a lot more avenues in which you can get your movie out there. But if you are a big-time movie maker, and if you're somebody who wants to get your platform out there on the biggest platform possible, you have to play along. You know what I mean? And the ratings board, and the rating goes into it. Yeah, and you know, a lot of them things back at the beginning with the Hays Code and stuff... Honestly, still that's a lot of that stuff is still being fought today in a way. Yes. Like, you know, during that documentary, they talk about like, um, you know, even like when, when, we, when they, sh- for instance, there's movie um, Boy Don't, Boys Don't Cry, um, which has lesbian scenes in it, you know, you know, female and female sex scenes. And that well, movie, a, I think, a, got an tra- NC-17 yeah. initially. Well, yeah, the mo- yeah. The movie, if you're not familiar, it's about, it's a real life story about, uh, someone who is uh, transgender and is yeah, yeah. concealing the fact that they were a woman because they, they believe they should be a man and it, dealing with all of those complications right away there is dealing with a sexual uh, thing that is rather taboo for a lot of people. Yeah, but We're it, still fighting today about transgender, gay rights, queer rights, all that kind of stuff is still fought over today. And, it, and the movie theater is no exception to that fight. You know what I mean? So right away, you're dealing with something that is sexually taboo to a lot of people. It could be sexually taboo to the people in the ratings board. You know what I well, mean? Well, yeah, yeah. I it's was based say, off it's of like, their personal you know, bias. You they know would what get, I mean? They would give it examples as like, you know, this sex scene with a you know woman on a woman is the exact same sex scene you would see with a man and a woman in another movie. But they don't like it because it's a it's it's homosexual. It's that's why they they yeah. mark that as bad, and not because of the how it was filmed. You know, if it was filmed artfully, it's not because you know of what they see. It's because they don't like the implications of it. Yeah, Kimberly Kimberly Pierce came uh, said that the the director of that movie where they were upset that. Uh, the, the camera held too long. That they, what's interesting is that in that scene is you don't see the sexual act actually happening. Yeah, everything, every all the sexual act is below camera, out of frame. You don't see it. The camera the whole time stays focused on um the actress uh, her Chloe face. Sevigny. Yeah, I believe it's Chloe Sevigny. Um, where it just it, her face while she is receiving sexual pleasure, and the whole and the camera just stays there, and. And the thing is, is 
if you're someone on the ratings board who doesn't like sex in movies or or squeamish about like you said Stephen, more sexual taboo stuff like like uh, homosexuality or things like that of course you're gonna hate you're not gonna yeah you're not gonna have that in favor gotta have it out of there and and you're telling someone and and it's and and it can be an integral part of the movie and it is yeah it's a sweet loving sex scene between two people who who love each other it's at, at that's what it is at its core but because you don't like the details about that specific scene it's got to go you yeah I mean? and, and 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 as we've talked about in 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 the Hayes code times you know religion of course plays a lot of and, and even today I, there's still religious um you know uh, people that i think are a part of this whole you know rating system um but along with the sex stuff you know one of the big points they make in the documentary is that um you know there's there's this obvious you know you know jump on you know sexual things in film but violence is very much played up they don't care how violent movies are they they'll let that stuff go as far and even as far as how tv is now tv has gone really far with violence with shows like you know the walking dead or things like that where you see blood and gore and 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 death everywhere but sex is still very taboo in 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 american film what's interesting is that tv and movies i think have two different the, sure, they do, of course. And they have two different like uh, uh, people who govern those things. Um, you know, for example, network TV can get away can can only get away with so much, whereas cable TV can get away with more. And then pay cable, be, premium cable, being HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, yeah. they can kind of do whatever they want almost, Basically, uh, to yeah. a certain extent. I mean, but they can show nudity, they can show swearing, they can show uh, va. The graphic violence and all that kind of stuff but like you said steven violence in movies as long as you don't show blood you can show as much of it as you want yeah you can have a pg-13 movie where it could be all-out war with guns and bombs and stuff but if there's a minimal to no amount of blood you can have as much of it as you want uh, even yeah. like even like decapitations and like dismemberment and stuff like that as long as it's a as long as it's like a quick cutaway, or if it's yeah, uh, yeah. if it's done in in a shadow or something like that, you can show as much of it as you want. But you 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 have some blood in there; it's too much. You now, know what I mean? Now I think this this heads us towards a really interesting conversation because this plays right. into a lot of modern film. Nowadays, it seems like the public and 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 is influenced the film industry to try to make their movies rated R, like with something like Deadpool. Where you know, or or Logan, where it was rated R, and that made it more, made it better for the audience. And I think that that's having. You think that's having like a really like a big influence on the film industry in general. You think like because it, it seems to be a thing lately where people want the more graphic version of something. What is what what is interesting to me though is this comes to the whole point or the whole question or debate about you know. I think what is allowed in movies now is different than what was allowed in movies 20 or 30 years ago. For example, like, you know, in PG-13, you were allowed to say one F word, but now I think you're allowed to say like, uh, like two or three, you know what I mean? And, you know, and what you could do in, and what you could do in a PG-13, what you couldn't do in a PG-13 movie, uh, uh, you know, years ago, 
you can do now, which would have been considered art, you can now do now. Yeah, do you know P what I mean? So the PG thirteen is almost becoming unnecessary now. Like PG thirteen is a you could get you could get PG thirteen really close to R if you wanted to. Yeah. You can play you can play games with with the aesthetics to the point where you could get things to a certain to a certain level. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I'm I'm bringing it to the point where um, there's a push towards R because. Honestly, the culture is so much different now. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say is that like a kid a kid at 16 seeing like for example, you know, are you you can't be you have to be 17 or older or without or you have to be admitted with an adult or whatever. But like kids at 16 versus 17 now there's no difference in what they're being no. exposed to. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, so John, like, John Waters talks about it in the documentary. He's like, look, it's like nowadays yeah. kids, they have the internet. They can see whatever they want. Like you're you're not showing some kids something they haven't seen on the internet now. So why try to hide it from them? Like yeah, and what is interesting is that, the, like I said, the documentary came out in 2005. He's talking about the mid-2000s yeah. internet age, which is – completely different than now yeah oh, like yeah. like oh like uh, th that was the era in which i was growing up and i think steven was growing up yeah, around yeah. the same time the internet was still kind of this 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 you know it, it existed of course we used it but it wasn't this more wide open more integrated space it's than not it is as now. accessible until cell phones started yeah you know, it's not really the, yeah. accessible until the more modern age and of course i don't think it was as vast now like you could go on the internet and find anything you want right now in, yeah, in, in seconds yeah. in seconds and and like john water said kids are exposed to things way more graphic and more easily uh, accessible via the internet than they are in movies oh my yeah. goodness you could go on you could just go on youtube and see stuff that is that is graphic you can go on yeah. to just a google search if you want to see violence uh pornography uh nudity you want to see if you want to see a specific scene in a movie that is from like an rated r movie and you're like 14 15 you can google yeah. search that yeah. stuff granted you know it is up to the responsibility of the parents yeah, to yeah. monitor mean, these kids but i mean if if you don't they can do it very very easily well, uh, yeah. so this whole this whole push to make for kid you know a kid can't see uh logan because there's two because you know uh wolverine says the f word is kind of absurd to me you know what i mean or yeah. he cuts off some dudes he like cuts off some dude's arm or some dude's leg and i'm like and it's like well no, that's nothing uh, well, uh, that it, leads nothing. to a that leads to kind of a, a nice like a, a cap conversation here which is that what do you think is the what what if it was if it was our world and what we could do, what we think would be a good idea to, to kind of move past this idea of the MPAA and them kind of controlling, you know, right. in a sense, basically having a control over the information that gets out there. You know, they, you know, it's like the, the, whoever controls the information kind of controls what people think. So in a way, they're trying to control how people think. And do, I mean, I, I, obviously, we want to get away from that. It's basically like propaganda, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah, up today. It doesn't though, seem as. You know? Oh, it, it's only it, right now. It's bigger than it's ever been before. Oh yeah, the movie industry I think is bigger than it's ever been before. Its influence on culture is bigger than it's ever been before, and they and they are not only a force in the entertainment business, but economically, they're a multi-billion billion dollar. Yeah, they're business. they're a big part of our economy. It, it, I mean, some of I mean some of the you know the people who are part of the MPAA now 
Uh, what is interesting to me is that when I was looking at who the members are now, I'm like, some of these people, like, they're just, they're combining forces. <laughs> they're, yeah, yeah. They're going to end up becoming, you know, huge, huge conglomerates. Uh, at, like, as of right now, in 2000, as, as of 2017, which was last year, the companies in the MPAA and they they control like ninety five percent of you know, what we consume in movies. Yeah, um, it was Th- theater what, like, owners and, and yeah, it yeah. was and the, and the theater chains are different. But the theater chains are kind of have to dictate what the what the uh, movie studios say. Yeah, they kind yeah. of have to do what they say. They're because they because the movie the movie studios own the movies that are going to be exhibited in. In those theaters, in a way, we're back to the old studio system where the where the big studios control yep. almost everything. We're kind of it's kind of come full circle. But the big studios I, are, of course, Disney, Paramount, Sony, 20th Century Fox, Universal, Warner Brothers. The reason why I bring this up is because Disney just bought 20th Century Fox. Yep. So you can throw 20th Century Fox out of that equation. So now it's down to like a, a like a, a smaller degree of companies uh controlling what we consume in movies you know what i mean so therefore they can control what we see and what we don't see in the movies because they have all the money and all the money equals all the power and i think it's only going to get worse from here yes the implications of of that deal are are, 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 you know obviously we on the surface people love the fact that you know we're gonna get the x-men and the fantastic four back to disney woohoo but ultimately (laughs) it's uh you know it's gonna have some some things that i think people are not going to realize that are really going to affect us overall and uh like i said leading to the conversation yeah and i was getting towards that you know yeah yeah what do you think what do you think is is there a way to please both sides is there a way i don't think there is i think ultimately the people that you have to please is us the audience and i think nowadays we're getting to that point where maybe the the, that that rating system is outplaying itself and i think people just want to be able to see what they want to see and i want to see the artists i want to see the artists what they want to show us you know it's like nowadays everybody's crying for the director's cut you know where's the snyder cut of that like we want like everybody wants to see what it what the initial cut of the movie was supposed to be now of course you have to rein some of these big movies and some of these dudes are like i got a four-hour cut yeah you're not going to release that in theaters that's ridiculous (laughs) but Uh, what i what i just learned today though and this goes along right along what we're saying is that uh, we know and I mean, this is a whole conversation maybe for another time, but there, of course, are certain movies, certain directors who do things in their movies that are, let's say, beyond uh, uh, beyond the envelope of what some would consider decent. Sure. And I mean the, the more avant-garde directors, someone like a uh, Lars Tarant- von Trier. Tarantino even, you know. Not even, he- but Tarantino still plays within a relative uh, box of entertainment but someone like a Lars von Trier yeah. who is making films that really are they're very graphic whether it be violence or sexual or whatever and he's for example his film Nymphomaniac I'm pretty sure yeah. he never submitted that for the, to the ratings board no. here in the United States it's not even that's worth why it <laughs> that's why he's like it's not even worth it like that because if you and I didn't even bring this up but if you get an NC-17 rating theaters won't show Major chains won't show your your movie, therefore you have to go to the indie theater 
realm, which of yeah, course is yeah, less yeah. exhibition and less people see it. You better hope that some company buys it for distribution for Blu-ray and DVD so that more people can see yeah. it, all that kind of stuff. But it brings me to back to Lars is his movie um, that's coming out. The house that Jack built yeah. is getting two cuts. Yep. There, there's a lot. There's the, the, his cut of the movie which is the quote-unquote director's cut, like you were saying. Yeah. And then there's going to be an R-rated cut of the movie that, of course, he had to cut down in, in order to be in order for it to be put into theaters here in the States. Yeah, yeah, which, so you know, honestly, me this- I, I mean, of course, I'm going to go try to see that director's cut, but, you know, at least in this situation, we get a chance to see see both. Um, right. But but like what I was saying, like do you think there's a a, a place we could go? Is it what, what do you think would be in right. the perfect world? I mean, what I would I you mean, would like to see in the rating system? Part of me is like like I was just saying. Part of me is like as, as someone who wants to make movies, as somebody who uh, loves the artistic merit of just movie making in general, and seeing someone's. Uh, art just on screen just full, and full i just don't vision, want that yeah. messed with i want it to be entirely authentic i don't want it messed with and a lot of it goes back to like i said the studio system really messing with people you know taking controlling movies in general um for example my biggest one of my biggest favorite filmmakers of all time is orson wells and his career was destroyed by the studio system who wouldn't let him make the movies he wanted to make you know what I mean? And what it comes down to is like, are do we want the filmmakers to be allowed to be able to make the movies they want to make? And do we want them to have, to, or do we want some type of oversight with that? Well, yeah, you know I mean? well, where, the, big, where the bigger is the rating. The, the bigger question like, is, is, is yeah. do we think films have a have a moral, uh, you know, responsibility? Obligation. Yeah. to the public we, to show movies that are more you know, like you said that's the whole idea of the rating systems is that they feel that we should have a film should have a little bit of a moral responsibility and not just be able to throw out any kind of you know you know explicit content that they want right and, and a lot of that it's i mean there's so much to do in this conversation but it's like whose responsibility is that is yeah. it the parent of the child uh, is it their responsibility not to take their child to see this movie because it has nudity in it, it has F-words in it, it has violence in it? Yeah. Or is it the responsibility of the filmmaker not to show that? Or is it the responsibility of the studio to tell this filmmaker, hey, don't put this in this movie because it's because of whatever or is it responsible or is there responsible for this ratings board to tell to tell this to tell, to hey, influence the people not to it. see certain movies. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, to tell people not to see certain movies and also to tell these filmmakers, hey, don't put this in this movie, or else we're going to have to tell people that this is in it and they're not going to want to see it. Therefore, you, you're you not going to make money on this movie. You and, know what I mean? There's yeah, so many then, facets to it. And then ultimately, you know, it's like, hey, you know, with certain mass, these, these big budget movies, you can't, in a way, you can't, you know, put it against the studios to want to regulate the movie because they're putting so much money into something they want it to be a certain way. In them instances, you can see why some regulation's okay. But for the independent the, the, the artist that is not making one of these mass production movies, they're still being regulated. These these more indie movies are still being, you know, like Lance von Trier, his movie is still being regulated and being having this thing, this rating thrust upon it saying, "Hey, 
this is taboo. You shouldn't, nobody should see this. Like, you know, you're, right. you're kind I mean, of, and there are, I mean, I mean, we didn't even go into this, but there is a history of movies being so morally objectionable to some groups that they, they're, they're banned in countries. They're banned here in the United States. Yeah. Um, their, 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 their original negatives are destroyed. Yeah, um, yeah. like, uh, for example, last tango in Paris, uh, the the Bertolucci movie, like that movie, was so morally uh, so objected by the Catholic Church and everything that they had it destroyed. Um, and 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 then of course there's other like really graphic graphic. Well, there's movies. that. Uh, so, where's that? Was that film the Siberian film? Yeah, the Sir. I was gonna get to it. The Serbian Serbi- film. Yeah. Serbian film, which is banned in countries because it's so graphic and just too much. But we're we're gonna the, tell you here. You can go watch it on YouTube. I think so. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and to be honest, in the mod, and I say this, but in the modern age, you can you can find these movies if you want to find them. You, you want to watch? Find them. You want to watch uh, Salo, which is on the Criterion, yeah, on the Criterion collection. collection. Salo. Yeah. I mean, Pier Paolo Pasolini was so controversial as a director, he got killed because of it. You know what I mean? Damn. Like his movies were so controversial that he died because of it and Salo was one of one of those what was one of those movies because it's so graphic and what it's saying and what it's depicting that people were just outraged by it and and there's a history throughout uh throughout movie history that where that's the case and a lot of it is like well and a lot of and a lot of it kind of feeds back into what we're saying when it comes to censorship those movies were not censored, therefore they they had grave repercussions because of them. Yeah. And then again, and then again, it's like me as a kind of a film purist. It's like, well, I'm really glad they weren't because we wouldn't have them in their current form. Because some of those movies are fantastic, or they're revered in certain ways, and and things like that. And a lot of it is subjectivity. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is in a movie like uh, Salo or something like that? maybe morally objectionable to one but it's also a movie that's a social commentary on like uh fascism in italy you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. there's like there, there's like a reason behind it beyond just the what it's depicting on screen and it, it, it's there's so much to say about there those is a lot things. to it's say so, and i, and it's I so think nuanced, and there's a... no and like we're saying there's no fix to it and i don't no, think not really. for example I, the rating system is not going to go away anytime no. soon i mean the, it, the dynamics of it are always shifting like we said what is allowed versus not allowed i think are always shifting we we are evolving as a culture we're being exposed to more violence in reality now than we've ever been exposed to in movies yeah, every oh, single yeah, day definitely. in the united states you turn on the news there's a mass shooting there's a robbery there's a murder there's something like that the things that have that were only depicted in movies that were seen as um too absurd to be put in reality are now in reality. You yeah, know I mean, I mean? Every, everything, so, everything, even even when, when and people hate this word, but political, like it's everything's political, and you know, mm. films are very political. You know, and and this culture of of you know political correctness, um, we're still ultimately the the enemy of this this whole thing is ourselves. You know, people are the reason why codes came in. You know the power in the first place people complained about the what movies were doing so then you know it, there's always going to be a divide yeah. there's always going to be a yeah. divide people are going to agree on something and not agree on something that's what makes it political and that's why we're never there's never going to be a fix like you said yeah and, and what is interesting is if you look at the history of hollywood specifically here in the united states and even to a certain extent across the world 
the film industry and and politics have always um, uh, meshed with each other. They've always been in each other's playing grounds. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we talked about, or just to come full circle, we talked about at the beginning, uh, the reason why the production code was first uh, created was so the government couldn't get involved in the film industry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, of course, you had, you know, all kind of things with the House and Americans Committee and the communist thing, the blacklisting. And, of course, today, the political world and the movie world are constantly going, kind of meshing with each other. Yeah, they're you know, fighting each other. They're on each other's side, other. depending on who people it are is. Doing, you know. People are doing political ads for this, political ads for that do social media and all this kind of stuff. So in a way they always connect with one another and our lives are all intertwined. And it's kind of a big mess when you think about it. It is. <laughs> it's um, a big mess and there's no fix. There's no real fixing with it because it's just too, there's too many variables thrown in. There is. It's, um, it's, 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 it's something that, uh, it can give you a headache, and it's starting to give give me a little bit of a headache thinking about it. But uh, I think it makes for I think it made for a very interesting discussion. Um, a very uh, just it's something that I think people can debate and debate for forever. Um, but uh, I you know I'm interested to see where uh, film evolves, and you know with these streaming services and things like that. You know Netflix. There's a, a positive of Netflix. They're putting out a lot of stuff that artists are being able to put out their full visions of, you know, at least from what we understand, guys are coming in and being able to make whatever they want. So it's, yeah, that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. The world is now, like we, like I said, vast and wide when it comes to, uh, uh, creative landscapes and places for people to show their creativity and to show their, their movies, their TV shows, their short films, whatever, and 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 of course, the, the, there are different avenues. It's not all based on, based in the the Hollywood system. There are other avenues to work with, to work in, and stuff and like that. So it's going to be very why, interesting. And that's why these streaming services are a threat to Hollywood. They, they and they're oh, trying to they're, they're big, trying they're to do big they're trying to do something about it where, by opening up their own streaming services, and it, it's going to be interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, the, the, like I've always said. Uh, History is is always unfolding in front of us. It's it always changing. Uh, you know, in years and years from now, people will be talking about this era of movies and Hollywood and stuff like that the way we're talking about stuff that happened decades ago. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. They'll look yeah. back at it as a historical piece, like we do. And I think that what's what's good is 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 back. You know, back and then, and this what's important about movies too. As as I think, you know, think about you know. 50 years from now 60 you know no who knows how the world's going to be and maybe the only kind of uh you know piece of our history that's left maybe uh, maybe something happens and they find movies and movies are like the history become the history of our country what what are they going to think of us like you know what do they they see the marvel movies it's like is that how it was like back then <laughs> like i mean like th- that's why it's important i think it's important to be truthful in film i mean not of course fantasy's fantasy no i mean you can believe what you want but you know i think when it comes to movies about real life i think we you know we need to be truthful about that stuff and not you know, censor it. It needs to be needs to be out there, and um, for for the history of our of our lives, you know, it's important. But um, yeah, I think this is a good stopping place. I think we covered a lot here, um, a lot of good, uh, interesting talks, and we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear what you what do you think about censorship in film? Um, you know, tell us some of your takes. Um, anything else, Andrew? Before we go, no, no, not really. Just 
you know, c- keep watching movies because, you know, it, it's a it's a great historical piece about, you know, where we're living now, where we come from and all that kind of stuff, like Stephen was saying. But I, when it comes to censorship, it, it really is all based off of your personal opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and what the great thing about movies is I've always kind of thought this. You don't have to watch it if you don't want to. You know what yeah, I mean? If you yeah. don't like the subject matter in a movie, you don't have to watch it. And if you're a parent out there and you don't want your kid exposed to to violence or sex at a young age, don't have him watch a movie. Do your research. Do your research. Nowadays, there do, is no excuse. There's research. There you can, really is no you can go excuse. On, you can go to IMDb and it'll tell you what's in the movie. You know, yeah, it, you can go to IMDb and there's and there's there are things in there that will tell you step the step by step or scene for scene what is depicted and what's graphic, what's sexual, yeah. what what all those things are. And if you don't want any of that stuff in your life, don't be don't be you don't have to see it. But granted, but then there's another thing to be said. Like you know, maybe you should you should open yourself up to do different experiences well, and stuff like that. But I'm talking in broad strokes. For yeah, example, sure. If you, you don't should, want your, if you don't want your six year old kid to see, to see, uh, uh, somebody's head get blown off in a movie, then sure. You know what I mean? But yeah, well, the thing <laughs> is, is, is it's okay to not want to see something, but don't try to influence others to not see it just because you don't like it. That is very true. That, Great, that is yes. ultimately that what the code well. is. About, it's the badness of having something like the MPAA is that you got these people that you don't know why they don't like something or say something's bad or good. It's just it's 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 very it's very subjective to that person, you know, and not yeah, the general people like you've said earlier. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it, it, it movies are an individual experience as well as a collective experience, yeah. too. So. Yeah, I think this is a good place to end. And um, where can we find you, Andrew Cabal? You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Stephen Billings, Instagram, uh, Cinema Discovery Project. Um, And coming up, I think in the next couple episodes here, we're in November, and... If we if you listen to our first episode, we talked about how we are big fans of the noir genre. So I think me and Andrew are going to be covering some noir topics in the next couple episodes. I think we might do like an overview of the classics, um, and then we might do another spotlight on a uh, you know classic film noir. So uh, get ready for that, and uh, hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>